Hi, and welcome to the Book of Medora, a podcast where we explain Zelda lore. Today we're going to be talking about the first game in the series, the Hyrule Fantasy, The Legend of Zelda. I'm Crystal, and with me today is Cameron. How are you doing today, Cameron? I'm doing alright. I'm jumping ahead of things and tripping all over my own feet, but generally I'm doing okay. What do you know about the first game in the Legend of Zelda series, which is actually the first game in the Hyrule Fantasy series? I know that it has had several translations uh, that affect the way that you might read certain elements of the game. I know that it's my favorite of the 2D Zeldas to get through, and I know that it was the primary inspiration for the newest title in the series, The Breath of the Wild. It sounds like you know a lot more than me, because I have never actually finished this game. Really? Yeah. I mean, we're only here to talk about the lore of the game, really, and there's not a ton to talk about with this one. That's definitely a fair reading of it. Uh, and I can't really blame you for not getting through it. It's hard. People like to talk about how Breath of the Wild is sort of the hardest Zelda game to come out in 20 years, but that doesn't really mean a whole lot in comparison to how hard Zelda used to be. And used to be refers specifically to the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System or the Famicom titles, not so much anything from Link to the Past onwards. Because in later games, especially in something like Breath of the Wild, over the course of the game you would be given so many advantages compared to your enemies that you could mitigate most of the difficulty that would plague you early on. I was going to say Breath of the Wild's really only hard in the first few hours, I think. Once you start getting some tools, once you start picking up good weapons on the regular, it's really the same difficulty as any of the past Zelda games. But Zelda 1 and especially Zelda 2 are very difficult all the way through. Oh, absolutely. I think that to a degree, though, the variable difficulty of Breath of the Wild depends on how you approach the game. Because I've heard many impressions, including uh, from people that both you and I know that over the course of the game, the difficulty will either stay constant or actually ramp up for them because they don't go in on a completionist bend that allows them to accrue all of the advantages. So they'll be able to get certain things like uh, certain unavoidable spells you can attain from completing main quests, but they won't do things like upgrade your armor four times. The variability of the difficulty in Breath of the Wild is very interesting to me, because you end up with players who go through without accruing all of the advantages, and when that happens, they will often experience Breath of the Wild as having a flat high difficulty, or even a difficulty that ramps up over time, which for some people can become utterly unmanageable. If you go through the entire game facing off against silver enemies and only have level 2 soldier armor to protect yourself with, then you'll end up getting one shot over the course of the entire thing. That's uh, something that I found pretty interesting, because that kind of variability doesn't exist in older Zelda titles, including the original. Yeah, it's kind of a flat difficulty all the way through. Yes, even when you get every advantage available to you in the first Legend of Zelda, the only real way to protect yourself is to go through as skillfully as possible. Yeah, the world that Zelda 1 presents is... The difficulty is appropriate because it's kind of an untamed wild world in a way that no other game in the series really is. 
Breath of the Wild kind of tried to capture it, but, like, Breath of the Wild still has towns and real NPCs and stuff. The only NPCs in this game are random people in caves. That's true. Now, there is another element to it in that uh, the first game, I think, probably doesn't have towns because of technical limitations on the game more than any specific desire to present a sense of loneliness. But at the same time, it also has elements to it that Breath of the Wild did not, that I think might be interesting to touch on after we've gone over the lore. Well, I guess really the only thing to expound on is the intro they have in the manual. When you say the intro from the manual, do you mean the one that is listed on, let me check my copy here, the one that begins on page three? I don't have the manual in front of me. Oh, okay. Well, um, in that case, may I break script a little bit? Because there is, in my mind, a certain uh, hierarchy of canonicity in how we can treat any game in the series, including the oldest one. Basically, the idea that I've always gone by is that you can treat the text you find in the game as being more or less absolutely canon, if there is text. Anything you get past that is somewhat less canonical, though for older NES games, of course, the stuff you find in the manual is a lot more important to your understanding of the game. But The Legend of Zelda is interesting compared to a lot of other Nintendo games of its era in that it actually does try to give you a basic understanding of the conflict right when you boot it up. You mean that screen with Ganon with two ends? Yeah, mm? Yes. Now, we're not going to be looking at that particular screen. We will be looking at the new international version, which is the translation that I prefer. It reads, Long ago, Ganon, Prince of Darkness, stole the Triforce of Power. Princess Zelda of Hyrule broke the Triforce of Wisdom into eight pieces and hid them from Ganon before she was kidnapped by Ganon's minions. Link, you must find the pieces and save Zelda. That screen's actually kind of interesting to me, not just because it's a lot easier to parse than the stuff you find on the older translations, but in that it sort of implies that the backstory of this game, Ganon stealing the Triforce of Power and Zelda scattering the Triforce of Wisdom, happened a very long time ago in comparison to the rest of it. Because it says many years ago. Yes, absolutely. When you look in the game, because the manual refers to a princess and presumably a kingdom, but nothing like that is really visible in the game. Yes. So you could presume that, like, this was so long ago that kingdom is totally done for. Yes, that is something you could presume. And it presents a very, very uh, dark way to look at the game, doesn't it? Like, the things that you're finding, how all the people that you find in caves are either traveling salesmen or old people, means that everybody in Hyrule has either fled or died out. But at the same time, as much fun as it is to look at the intro for the game and think of it as being uh, the end-all, be-all of how you should view the setting, the Apocrypha, that is the manual, does recontextualize that, saying that the first sentence long ago sort of frames the entirety of the game. That it switches into the present tense when referring to you, Link, the player, is treated as something of a grammatical error in the manual. In the manual, this whole story takes place long ago, but the timeline between Ganon's invading of Hyrule versus Link coming onto the scene is actually relatively short. I guess let's see what's in the manual. Yeah. Uh, are there different translations for what's in the manual? I don't think so. I think that the one that came with it back in 1986 or 87 is the only one we've ever gotten. 
The version we're reading from can be found on legendsoflocalization.com. A long, long time ago, the world was in an age of chaos. In the midst of the chaos, a little kingdom in the land of Hyrule, a legend was being handed down from generation to generation. The legend of the Triforce, golden triangles possessing mystical power. So here we kind of have the first uh, new bit of information about what the Triforce actually is, because the game does not explain that at all. Yeah, to a degree, insofar as telling us that they're golden triangles possessing mystical powers is really information. I don't know if it's more meaningful than just the name by itself. Well, there's also the Triforce being a legend passed down from generation to generation, ages past, presumably since the aforementioned Age of Chaos. True. So you can presume that the Triforce is not any kind of new invention. I do like that that first, uh, rather that second sentence there, frames this kingdom as being essentially unnamed and the land itself is Hyrule. Yeah. Usually, well, in later Zelda games, they kind of conflate the two. There's the kingdom of Hyrule and the land of Hyrule. But here it's just the land and a little kingdom. Yeah. One day, an evil army attacked this peaceful little kingdom and stole the Triforce of Power. This army was led by Ganon, the powerful Prince of Darkness, who sought to plunge the world into fear and darkness under his rule. Fearing his wicked rule, Zelda, the princess of the kingdom, split up the Triforce of Wisdom into eight fragments and hid them throughout the realm to save the last remaining Triforce from the clutches of the evil Ganon. So... Here, the Triforce of Wisdom is referred to as the last remaining Triforce. There is no courage yet. Yeah, the idea at the time was simply that the Triforce referred exclusively to the fact that they were magical artifacts in the shape of triangles. I believe Miyamoto has talked about in interviews about having the idea of courage before this game came out, but it's not really shown up in the game. But Zelda 2 came out less than a year later, so I guess he could have incorporated very quickly. There wasn't really room for it in this one. Uh, why do you say that? Well, I mean, where would you put it in if you had to? I think... Huh. Second quest. Second quest. The not... It, it, is the second quest canonical? Why not? Because Ganon's not dead. Um, he's going to come back eventually. Well, yeah, I, but he doesn't come back 15 minutes later. I mean, the, I, when you play the... Uh, playing the second... The funny thing is that the manual, or... God, I can't remember exactly where it is. Some piece of official Nintendo published stuff that is about as canonical as the manual does actually treat the second quest as canonical. But it's canonical to the experience of you, the player, rather than canonical in the sense of, oh, this is a continuation of the story where Ganon gets back up and you got to knock his ass down again. I remember in old timeline debates, there was the idea that The Legend of Zelda 1 took place in multiple timelines and the different quests were in different timelines. Oh, that's pretty cool. I never heard that one. My corner of the fandom always had these very mean-spirited arguments about whether there was a single Link that was uh, the one hero in all of the games or if it was multiple links having multiple adventures. And at the time, Ocarina of Time was the latest game in the series, but even then, that single link theory didn't hold a lot of water, and timeline arguments didn't manage to progress much past that point for us. I'm so glad that Breath of the Wild has an ambiguous timeline placement so we can have more timeline debates. Oh, I love timeline debates so much. <laughs> they are my bread and butter. 
Speaking of apocryphal Miyamoto interviews, what do you think about the idea that the Triforce was originally going to be computer chips and Link was going to be a time traveler? I think that would have been completely sick, and I have no... I think that maybe at some point in the future we could theoretically get a game that's like that, but the idea of time and technology is already so ingrained in the current aesthetic of The Legend of Zelda that I think transitioning over to it wouldn't have the sort of uh, Western science fiction look that most people think of when they hear this idea. I think it would be really cool if they went all in and gave it that particular Zelda flair, and it's kind of interesting that it ended up much more fantastical than that i wonder why they made that change i mean it's not even necessarily a change because there's nothing in this game to say that they aren't computer chips their nature is very mysterious oh so perhaps the second quest is caused by link traveling forward in the future to the moment when he's needed again yeah oh they've really gone hard on the mystical futurism in the past five years of zelda oh i love both it. skyward sword and breath of the wild really so they could i could totally see them doing that in the next game oh wouldn't that be cool though holy hell that'd be so cool so let's see, where were we? Zelda hit the Triforce, but at the same time, she commanded her most trustworthy nursemaid, Impa, to secretly escape into the land and go find a man with enough courage to destroy the evil Ganon. Hmm. Upon hearing this, Ganon grew angry, imprisoned the princess, and sent out a party in search of Impa. Braving forests and mountains, Impa fled for her life for her pursuers. As she reached the very limits of her energy, she found herself surrounded by Ganon's evil henchmen. Cornered, what could she do? But wait, all was not lost. A young lad appeared. He skillfully drove off Ganon's henchmen and saved Impa from a fate worse than death. His name was Link. During his travels, he had come across Impa and Ganon's henchmen. So already here, we kind of have the idea of the hero is supposed to be a man with enough courage to defeat Ganon, but instead it's a young boy who in the art is depicted as very short and small. Yeah, he's something like 10 or 11. He is a child. Is he canonically a child? I think so. The intention... Oh, right, because yeah, in Zelda 2 he was 17, right? And that was years later, so yeah. Yeah, th there's never been a strict statement about it. Um, oh, if I had thought about it, I would have gone through and looked at... I've got all the big Zelda books that they've released over the past couple of years. The giant art book, the Hyrule history, all those together. There's somewhere in there that indicates that they had intended for Link to be very young in this game. He's a boy just going around. So he already, just by existing, is a subversion of the idea that Impa needs to go find a man with enough courage. Yeah, even though there's no Triforce of Courage here, you do already see the beginnings of the idea of courage as exemplified by someone very small facing off against, you know, enemies much bigger than him. This sequence does bring to mind two questions. The first is, what do you think Link did to run off Ganon's henchmen, since he didn't have a sword yet? He used the stick. And the stick broke after he finished beating them with it? Yeah, I mean, regular Bakalins <laughs> are not that hard to kill. Oh, the, the thing is, I think... This is an era of Hyrule in which Bakoblins are effectively extinct. Oh, maybe he just got the last... Maybe he got the only ones with a stick. All the other stuff... Have you ever heard the theory that The Legend of Zelda, the first game, takes place in a very small corner of the larger Hyrule as presented in the second game? Oh yeah, that's not a theory, that's canon. Mm. 
I suppose that's fair. I'm not familiar enough with the map and Adventure Link to say for sure. But uh, I like that idea because it sort of means that Death Mountain's really dangerous in Adventure of Link, right? Mm -hmm. It means that here, Link's running around fighting, theoretically, mostly the strongest monsters in the world already. So it makes sense that he'd have to be really well equipped. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the Zelda 1 art, see if he is, when he's rescuing Impa, if he's equipped with anything. It looks like he is not. Yeah, did it skillfully, though. Yeah, the the stick must have broken after he beat them with it. Or he just uses fists. Yeah, I guess he could. They've never done a fist weapon for Link, have they? I don't think they have, no. That would be a pretty cool weapon to put in the difficulty DLC. I would like that. Just like gauntlets that you can wear. Anyway, um, I forget what the other question was, so we can move on if you want. Impa told Link the whole story of Princess Zelda and the evil Ganon. Burning with a sense of justice, Link resolved to save Zelda, but Ganon was a powerful opponent. He held the Triforce of Power. And so, in order to fight off Ganon, Link had to bring the scattered eight fragments of the Triforce of Wisdom together to rebuild the mystical triangle. If he couldn't do this, there would be no chance Link could fight his way into Death Mountain, where Ganon lived. Can Link really destroy Ganon and save Princess Zelda? Only your skill can answer that question. Good luck. Use the Triforce wisely. I like this bit, because it makes you, the player, part of the story. Yeah, that's a conceit they often use for games back in this day, that the protagonist is just you. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool. It, it has a lot to do with the way that the tone of these manuals work, too, because the manual, at least in English, is very much written for children. You get things like that all throughout it. If you look under the Octorok enemies, for instance, they're referred to as being mean. Aww. Uh-huh. <laughs> the thing is, all of uh, there's several enemies that are referred to as mean. Like the Moblin specifically is described as a little bit meaner than Octorok. <laughs> There's some enemy in here that's described as firing mean beams at length. And I like that the most harsh description that they have of any enemy is that they're not nice. It just make them all sound cute. It does, which is kind of at odds with the tone of the game itself, in a sense, but not, maybe not so much that it's problematic. But even, even when you just look at the rest of the art that's in the manual, Link going through this big foreboding labyrinth or attacking a Lanmala or facing off against the shadow of Ganon with the Triforce in hand, it gives a sense of a much more dramatic take on it. Almost... I'm not really sure of something good to compare it to, but it's a little bit out of sync with the way that the manual was localized. I don't know, maybe it's just because I lack imagination where I wasn't around at the time, but when I play this game, it does actually kind of have that kind of cutesy adventure feel. That's fair. I always thought that the color palette, which is actually really good for what the NES could produce or what it was producing at the time, helped create this sense of each environment being really different from all the others, and the labyrinths always felt oppressive to me and i only first played this game about 10 years ago replayed it very recently and it doesn't matter how old you are i still think that wall masters are spooky it's interesting that you see that because that's maybe my biggest complaint with this game is that every area kind of feels the same well yeah it that is definitely what it is the differences between the areas are much more about how you interact with them and the specific challenges inside of them than it is going into a place and going, oh, this looks new, this sounds new. 
that 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 wasn't really the point at the time it's making you go okay what kind of crazy stuff is it going to throw at me now why are these horrible robed men teleporting all over the place and shooting lasers yeah it's interesting that the idea of zelda being a puzzle game was not really established yet and won't be established for a couple more games this game is really all about exploration and combat that's definitely true the puzzle elements at the time were really rudimentary and if you got a sense the only thing that always trips me up when i replay this game and i think it's only really made me stop once in death mountain when i forgot that you can go into the eye on the right hand side and that's necessary i forget exactly why it's probably the path that leads you to the silver arrow or something but there's no indication that you can go into the eye except for the fact that much earlier you can go into the left eye so the only way to know that you can bomb a specific wall is because there was an alternative entrance on the exact opposite side of the dungeon that's why you gotta take notes it implies to me that all the labyrinths were designed by Koroks. Yeah. Because the only thing that matters is symmetry. So uh, there aren't a few translation notes on this website about a couple minor differences between the Japanese and English text that I thought might be interesting. Mm-hmm. So the English text says that this takes place in the land of Hyrule. Apparently in the Japanese, the implication is more that this is the Hyrule region of a much larger land. Mm. And also the English text says that a legend of the Triforce is handed down from generation to generation. But in Japanese, it says the Triforce themselves are handed down, which explains why Zelda has it in the first place. That does seem a bit more in line with what happens. Yeah, and comparing this game to where Zelda lore is now, in the era of Breath of the Wild, there's no indication that Ganon is any kind of ancient evil. He just seems like another petty warlord. Yeah, that, that that's about right. I mean, they do refer to him as the Prince of Darkness, so he's obviously more than just some tough guy. And later on in the manual, it says that nobody knows what Ganon is. Or what he's capable of because nobody has ever tried to approach him and lived so he's more than just a person but he's not some ancient terror that writes the history of Hyrule according to how he interfaces with it so I guess once we get to this point you just go through the eight dungeons you get the Triforce and you kill Ganon that's fairly true I do think that there are certain details that you can look at that suggest things about how the world works that might escape some people who are just going through the dungeons and who don't tend to overanalyze every mechanical aspect as if it were a a canonical statement about the world like i like to i like to do that well that's what we're here for okay well uh one of the things that i really like is that when you go through any given labyrinth I like it that they were called labyrinths instead of dungeons at the time. When you go through any given labyrinth, you always find a boss in the room before your Triforce piece, right? Right. And when you kill the boss, that opens the door that lets you go through and claim the Triforce, which implies that the boss itself is not one of Ganon's minions. It's a guardian set in place to guard the Triforce piece, either by Zelda or somehow empowered by the Triforce itself. Yeah, that would make sense, because if it was Ganon's, then he could just go get the Triforce. Right, which further implies that most of the enemies in the labyrinth, like the Dark Nuts, which the manual describes as actually living inside the labyrinths, are there to prevent anyone 
from getting into it rather than prevent Link specifically. They're not trying to capture the Triforce. They're just trying to stop Link from getting it. Which kind of implies that Ganon's minions wandering around the overworld trying and failing to find the labyrinths are sort of, uh, they exist in opposition to the monsters in the labyrinth themselves. Is that borne out with the enemy placements? Pardon? Like, are all the enemies in the overworld distinct from all the enemies in the labyrinths? Let me think for a second. Octoroks? Yes, I actually think they are. Huh. Now, a lot of the enemies in the overworld, like, uh... Tekitites and Octoroks are, God, I never, when I was a kid, I used to call them Tekites, but I guess Tekitites? Anyway, a lot of the enemies that exist in the overworld seem to be naturally occurring creatures, but things like the Lionels are obviously servants of Ganon, but you never find any Lionels inside of Labyrinths. This all makes me think that this whole region is, like, specifically designed to have labyrinths built in it that were built by the royal family, specifically to house the Triforce pieces if they ever needed to yeah. in this specific one region. Sort of like, uh, it, it, this is, I like this idea that this particular region of Hyrule, like you said, exists or was built as a contingency plan for if somebody, not necessarily some ancient evil who's attacked the kingdom over and over, but just anybody showed up with enough force to take things. It's it's something that's echoed in the lore that runs throughout Breath of the Wild, and it's one of my favorite little bits. But there's another element to that that I think is also very good, in that when you go inside of Death Mountain to go after Ganon, it's full of nothing but labyrinth enemies. That's a really good detail. Including uh, versions of bosses. And that seems to imply to me one of two things. Either inside of Death Mountain, Ganon has actually subverted the wills of these creatures and bent them to his power, or else the denizens of the labyrinth are actively trying to find Ganon so they can kill him. I kind of like the idea that Ganon got so pissed at the denizens of the labyrinths that he might have used his bad magic to make them meaner and serve him. But I also like the idea that they're being directed by the Triforce to try to regain it from this conqueror. Yeah, I think that I like that second idea a lot more. That's about as deep as I'm capable of going on the lore for this game, to be honest. Because what few puzzle elements, if, if you can even call them puzzles, there are in this game kind of have to do with finding the entrance to the labyrinths, and because they house the Triforce of Wisdom, that's kind of connected thematically, and Ganon can't find them because he doesn't have wisdom, he just has power. That makes sense. What else can we say about this game? I think that might actually be the limit for me. I like that there are certain implied relationships between the different characters, like, it seems like the old women who will sell you the breath of life, particularly the one who won't even talk to you unless you have the piece of paper from one of the old men, it implies that the, that particular old woman and that particular old man know each other. And it's easy to read them as, like, a pharmacist and a doctor, specifically. Like, the doctor will write you a prescription for the water of life. I guess uh, it might be easier to talk about what this game doesn't have uh. compared to uh, later games in the series. We already talked about uh, Ganon's non 
ancient evil. There's no Triforce of Courage. There's not really any towns in Hyrule, or at least this particular region, which, as we talked about, may be uh, specifically designed just to house Triforce pieces and labyrinths. Yes, that's very true. Uh, the whole thing is parsed down to the essential points, which is a world in which you explore trying to find the labyrinths and the labyrinths which beat the tar out of you. There isn't really any safe space in this game, I don't find. And that's pretty interesting because every other Zelda title, even Adventure of Link, which in my estimation is even harder than this damn game. Absolutely. Has safe spaces where you can go and you can chill out and you know that you'll be all right. But here, you don't get to breathe. Everywhere you go is hostile to you. I guess in a sense this is the purest of the Zelda games in that the experience is just this thing. And it makes sense why they end up coming back to this when they're trying to get to the essential parts of The Legend of Zelda. Even if it's not balanced in the... Breath of the Wild doesn't end up being balanced anything. Anything like The Legend of Zelda. There's a much greater overworld balance and comparatively no uh, focus on the underworld, which is fine. But that singular focus is something that I really admire about this game, and it makes it really fun to play for me. In some ways, this and Zelda 2 and, I guess, Breath of the Wild are really outliers in the series. And Link to the Past is the first one that people would identify as Zelda as expressed in most of the games in the series. Oh, definitely. Back in ooh, uh, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, you'd get some uh, crotchety older fans who felt like they needed to occasionally remind people that there were games in the series before Link to the Past, and that eventually Nintendo would need to return to what the real Zelda was. Two decades later, the real Zelda is, or what people think of as the real Zelda, is effectively just Link to the Past formula. See, what other core elements of Zelda does this game not have? There's no Master Sword. That's true. Though the idea of having to earn the best sword by completing a certain number of dungeons is present. That's true. Oh, I forgot to talk about one interesting aspect. Uh, we talked about how there's not three pieces of the Triforce, so of course the Triforce emblem does not exist in this game. Right. So instead on Link's shield, there is a cross. Alright. Did they end up changing that in later art for like the uh, GBA re-release? I don't think they did any new art for the GBA re-release. Uh, maybe not. Oh, he's, has he still got the cross shield? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Uh, well, I think... I I know I read an interview about this once. Uh, it may have been an Iwata Asks. Uh, I should really go back and reread that particular one. And I think it's just that they used it because the cross was just not only easy to put on his shield and make visible, but also an easy stand-in for indicating that he was righteous and fighting against evil. I guess so. Apparently, the Book of Magic was called the Bible in the Japanese translation. Right. It's sort of got that Castlevania thing going where Christian imagery is used as a stand-in for uh, holy magic. Where it's like, okay, you can clearly use the Bible as a spell book. But then they didn't really drop this idea for a few years because the cross shows up again in Zelda 2. And then Link to the Past, there's straight up artwork of Link praying to Jesus Christ. Wait, did that happen? Yeah, let me link that to you. Please. Where is this from? That is very much our boy praying to the Lord Christ our God. Huh. I wonder when the cult of Hylia supplanted 
Christianity as the major religion of Hyrule again. Well, I think it's the other way around, because this only exists in the later eras. Right, but Breath of the Wild takes place after this, clearly, and Hylia's back. Well, perhaps that's just more evidence for Breath of the Wild not being in this timeline. Hmm. Maybe. We'll have to return to the Breath of the Wild timeline discussion in a later episode, I think. Once there's been more time to pick apart different uh, bits of that lore. Apparently this was early promotional artwork, but I can't find the exact place where it appeared. Okay, you know how I refer to the manual as Apocrypha? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to say that the promotional artwork where Link is actually and plainly praying to Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, I'm going to call that less canonical than the manual. But nothing refutes that. So if we're well, doing tiers of canon, then this tier of canon would still be extant. Um, I wonder, because there's also official art for Link to the Past. This is Link to the Past art, right? Yes. There is also that Link to the Past art that actually shows the golden goddesses of the Triforce, right? Yes. And the existence of other gods is kind of mutually exclusive with Christianity. Or at least Christianity as it exists on our Earth. Yeah, I was going to say, this isn't set on Earth. In that case, how do we know that's Jesus? Couldn't that just be any crucified guy? Well, clearly it's someone of religious importance. (laughs) I mean, yes, perhaps he is one of the martyrs of Hylia. Yeah, maybe. It it could be one of the early Christian ideas that Jesus is not necessarily divine. Uh, Perhaps. But if we're going to push into uh, lack of surety... I think the lack of textual reference to anything from this art or to the cross on the shield is uh, worth noting because the gods, plural, are still referenced even back in Link to the Past. Oh, you know what it is? It's the very first Link who was highly as knight. Uh, and, okay, I'm listening. And uh, he was captured by Demise and crucified and Hyla, well, hmm. No, go on. Okay, I mean, there's also, in this image, there's a woman on the pedestal here, and maybe that's Hylia. Um, And Link bears the sins of the demon tribe. Okay. I I can't go, I can't go any further. Okay, I think we've reached, I think we've reached our theoretical limits. This, this deserves to be in the Link to the Past episode of this podcast. Yes, we will rediscuss this in the Link to the Past episode. Be ready for the return of Jesus in the Link to the Past episode of the Book of Medora. Not that return of Jesus. That comes later. Or, you know, who knows when it happens. That's true. They could come sooner. We don't know. It may be that we won't get to that return of Jesus because of the other return of Jesus. Most other Zelda games, especially uh, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, even things like Skyward Sword, have a very clear dichotomy between the first act of the game and the second act of the game. In the first act, you'll usually go through a certain number of dungeons, typically three, and you'll unlock something, either another world entirely or something that changes the world you know in such a way that the interactions you have with it are completely different compared to the first part of the game. Now, that's not true in every Zelda game after that. Majora's Mask isn't divided into three clear arcs the same way that most other Zelda titles are. But I think that, generally speaking, that 
light world, dark world dynamic is endemic to the series. Whereas here it's just kind of one straight quest forward. You know all your goals from the beginning, and then you do them, and then it's done. Yeah. Which Breath of the Wild kind of apes, too. It does. That, uh, that's why I talked about Breath of the Wild feeling like the third act of a much larger story in the Breath of the Wild episode. But that's also the case for this one, right? We don't see a lot of the crazy stuff that assumedly happens before this game. I say crazy, but we don't know. There's there's no indication whether or not there is anything exciting uh, occurring there. But some of the hints about labyrinth monsters fighting Ganon's monsters. And... Yeah, if this game was made today, there'd probably be a whole first act about like Ganon assaulting the castle and stealing the Triforce of Power. Unless they only told it to us through flashbacks. Though that would be pretty interesting too, I think. Is that all about it that we can say about the Hyrule Fantasy The Legend of Zelda? I think we are pretty much at our limit for it. It is a game where you're never quite sure if things are with you or against... Well, you know everything is trying to kill you specifically, but that's all you can really know. Well, we're about half the length of our previous episode, and that's after really stretching for time. I think a big part of the reason that I was able to power through Zelda 1 is that I made my own overworld map out of printer paper and pencil. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool experience that I would never have the patience for. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was during a very uh, different time in my life. But it's absolutely something that I would recommend. The only thing about Adventure of Link is I can't really do that. That's not the kind of game you can map out in clean squares the same way you can the first game. I mean, I guess you could, but it'd be a lot harder. That's that's a, that's my experience with Adventure of Link in general. I guess I could, but it's so much harder. Exploration is also not necessarily as big a factor in Zelda 2. It's more combat-focused. I feel like exploration is almost sort of disincentivized to a degree in Zelda 2. Uh, clearly, it's not actually disincentivized, because if you look around, you'll find secrets like permanent upgrades to your health and fairies who will heal you and stuff like that. But it whittles away at you so much, and you have a very limited amount of resources to get you through a lot of encounters. And I've never gotten good enough at the game that magic drops from enemies could keep up with how much damage they did to me. And it, it was always a question of how far I could get before biting it well there's something you can use to help you out these days and it's called emulator cheat codes oh, oh that was, um, uh, mm, I'll, my nes mini doesn't have cheat codes i think it's, it still has save states i guess that counts oh there is one thing about uh talking about the legend thinking about the legend of zelda that, that made me think about breath of the wild it's how there is i don't know if the combined rooms of all the labyrinths are the same size as the overworld but i saw a map once that implied that they could actually fit together onto a grid roughly the size of the overworld that's interesting to me because that means there's exactly as much dungeon as there is overworld which is something that i don't think ever occurred again in the zelda series not quite the same way where there was a parallel between the two uh, most Zelda dungeons are very removed from a sense of concrete space. You almost consider the underground to be the second world, the dark world. You could, I suppose. I, the underworld as opposed to the overworld. It'd be kind of interesting to have another game like this where all the dungeons are underground and yeah. to the grid of the overworld where you could also just freely travel between them and like dig through a wall and you're in a different dungeon. 
that is almost exactly what I was thinking about. And I, you know how, did you enjoy Eventide Island? It was okay. Okay. Suppose they take the idea behind Eventide Island, where it's kind of, it, it has a structure that's almost like a miniature dungeon, only with limitations placed on the character. And then they take something like that and blow it up to the scale of, say, Hyrule Castle, which feels like a more fully realized Breath of the Wild style dungeon than any other location in the game. Because you can go anywhere and do anything, but it's real bad and it'll get you. And there's also a lot of it that you can explore. And I think what would be really cool to me is if we got, it could be a smaller overworld. But for each region of the overworld, there's also a region of the underworld that's cut off from the others, sort of like dungeons are. But they would function almost like Eventide Island. So you would need to do certain things in certain regions to unlock, say, a boss battle or something like that. You know what that would be a really good fit for? What? Some kind of short-form $20 downloadable content. Oh, Crystal. Mm, I don't think... I, I don't think that'll be within the scope of any kind of downloadable content for a bunch of reasons. It was just like you know, a, a little region. <sighs> that would be pretty cool, though, wouldn't it? Oh, okay, if it's just one... And then there was the fortune teller thing. Uh, yeah, that's true. That was told through item description lore. Okay, yeah. So we go underground, and we find the ringed city... Only this time you enjoy it. Yeah, there's no angels or arrow guys. Yeah, I kind of like the arrow guys part. It was very silly. I would go so far to say as enemies with ranged attacks have never been good in Dark Souls. I tried to think of a counterexample, but I really can't. So you've got me there for sure. That game's about melee combat. Yeah, it absolutely is. Ranged attacks in this game are actually kind of fun, though, uh, in uh, both in The Legend of Zelda and in Breath of the Wild. I, I enjoy getting the big shield in the original Legend of Zelda and watching Lionel attacks just bounce off of it. Yeah, that's good. There is a certain je ne sais quoi to blocking attacks and then sorting attacks in this first game. I do like the feel of the combat, simple as it is. Yeah, this, being able to space yourself compared to the enemies getting a sense for how they're going to move next i actually really enjoy dropping down into a room that has six dark nuts in it and seeing if i can get out alive without just dropping 12 bombs well that's it for this week on the book of medora i've been crystal you can find me on twitter at arcane crystal cameron where can you find you on social media you can find me at cam writer on twitter did get an email address that we can use for our listeners to send questions into and that is book of medora podcast all one word book of medora podcast at gmail.com hey cameron yeah what did ganon say when he logged onto the internet oh fuck's sake what did he say there's too many links fuck this i'm not coming back